welcome to Pure Wrestling Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando, and we're on episode 153. Yeah. And I'm excited about this one. Yeah. Well, no, here's the thing. So there's a lot of books that we've read, and some of them were like, eh, and some of you liked more than I did, and some I liked more than you did, right? But this one, I don't know. I think we're both going to land on this one. Or maybe I'm off. Yeah, I think this is a good book. Uh, today, we are doing one of our level up reviews. So if you're new to the show, uh, typically on Sundays, we either have an interview, a reaction video, or a level up review where we read a book and kind of apply it to you know your personal business or to reselling or just to life. Uh, and then our Wednesday episodes are kind of like our more reseller focus as far as what's going on in the reseller world. What are we doing? Or, or a themed episode. So we're doing a level up review. And today, we are reviewing... Rich dad, poor dad. Okay, explain to me what's going on here. Why I have a better book. Why did you get a massive book and mine is like... You got the pocket edition. Well, yeah, but I thought I was getting that. That's what That's what I'm understanding. I was thrown off. Is it, is I yours, need to have an iNet. An item that at, is described against Amazon. Let's, let's look at the, the cover. Is it the same? Does it have the same... Uh, like, is it the updated? Yeah, it's just... It's, it's just, the exact same book. It's just smaller font. I'm what assuming. in the world? Which is good. I got bad eyes, so so it's okay. It just kind of cracked me up because I came into the studio. I'm like, what, what, what? Happened? And I only paid six bucks for mine, so I probably paid a little more. So I, I would have paid six for the pocket version. Usually, I feel like you pay more for pocket, but that's. I mean, it's a little big for pocket. I don't think you're gonna walk around with it. Um, and I think the principles in here uh, are simple enough that you can kind of learn them and start to apply them, and you won't need to uh, read it every day. But just like a lot of our books, these, this would be a good one, I think, to occasionally go back to because I think uh, we're going to be covering the first two lessons uh, of the Rich Dad Poor Dad today, uh, kind of talking about how it applies to life and reselling. And these two lessons were great. I feel like just understanding these two things and starting to think differently about them uh, will change the way you look at finance, will change the way you think of wealth, uh, even kind of going back to what we talked about with The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, so I think this is a great book and I'm super excited about it. And without further ado, want to jump into it? Sure, but <laughs> so I want to start off with the story. So this book, I knew about this book over a decade ago. And here's the thing. When people suggest a book, right? Most of the time we're like, yeah, I'll look into it. How many times do we actually look into it, right? And it also depends on who's delivering the message, right? And so- Yeah, if it's me saying you should read something you never do. No, 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 I, I'll, I'll read it. But here's the thing. I, I think all of us, and I mean, me and you and and maybe some other listeners, or there's some listeners that don't need this advice because they've already arrived and they don't judge books by their cover. Congratulations for arriving. Okay. But I remember this came from a guy who was let go from where I worked and it was on him. Like it was his fault. Like it, it is what it is. Right. And I remember him approaching me. He goes, Orlando. I'm like, what are you up to these days? You know, and we were good friends for a while. And, uh, and we didn't stop being friends. It's just people grow apart and it is what it is. And I remember him telling me, he's like, man, my life is so different. Like I'm getting into real estate. And he was a teacher, by the way. He's like, I'm getting into real estate now. Have you heard of this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And I, I kind of, I'm like, you know, in my head, I'm like, dude, like you, you lost your job. Like you're recommending this book. Like, why would I read this book? Right? Like why? Why would I take the time? Like, you know, and so I, I judge the book by its cover because I'm like, oh, this book, this is this is a, probably another scammer book. Right. And I will say before I got into reselling. I thought most things were a scam. I mean, I'll go to the point that I thought like Dave Ramsey's totally money makeover was a scam. So you did it. So I did it, it 100 percent. Now, 
that will be, I'm just going to make the executive decision, which I'm not executive for co-partners, but I think we need to do totally money makeover for our next book. Sure. The reason being is like, I think we do, I, I, b- I believe I'm doing a disservice if the, probably one of the top five books that ever changed my life and we haven't touched on it. Like, I, I just like, I feel like that's wrong. I think we just had to uh, make sure we worked out all the kinks and in, uh, in, in the level up reviews before we, you know, brought out the big guns. Okay. There you go. There you go. There you go. So he's <laughs> going back to that, you know? And so we have read, I think, you know, we've read a few books and I think, you know, we, I mean, you and I both agreed about think, think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. Like to me, that was a scammy book. Right. And I know unpopular opinion. Right. And whatever. Hey, it's just our opinion. Just it's all we're saying. Just our we're not opinion. saying you have to share it. Just our opinion. And, and we, we, and we actually, we judged the book by its cover, believing it was going to be a good book. And in the end, we landed on it wasn't. And, and I know a lot of you disagree with us and we appreciate you disagreeing with us. Like, that's good. But this book, I was like, uh, nah, I'm not, I'm not why, like, why would I read it? Like, you know, and now I actually read it and I'm like, this book is speaking like what, what I've been thinking, like the last probably two years of being full time, I just couldn't put it into words. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I know, um, I've only read the first two. Yeah. And again, that's only the first two yeah. chapters. Too. I've only read the first two lessons, the first two chapters, introduction also, and all of that, the lead into it. Cause this book is, is, is over 20 years old now. Um, and and to be honest, I had already watched some like basically like uh, short reviews of this book or these principles. And I'd learned these principles in other areas um, and um, taking classes that were actually like finance and accounting classes. So some of these were principles I've already learned. Um, and it's good to see it put in a way that like the everyday average person could understand because uh, years ago I got into like wanting to trade stocks. And so I watched all these videos and tried to learn things like what liability and asset. And I had taken some finance classes um, and I understood those things. But again, it's one of those things like, well, this isn't going to really apply to me unless I'm like going to go all in on it. But if you start to apply these things, it'll be life-changing, right? Same thing with like the total money makeover by Dave Ramsey. Uh, A lot of those principles, I mean, you could say some of them are pretty easy, right? Save $1,000 emergency fund, pay off your debt, right? Like those are easy principles that a lot of people know, but like when it's put in a way practically that you can understand and see like, I could see the trap that people fall into when they're they're not doing these things. And I can see the freedom that is provided uh, when you exercise the discipline to implement these things or to learn these things or to develop the education uh, as uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad discusses. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think it'll be good. So full circle, the whole reason I say this is like, whether it's us that you're like, ah, I don't know about Michael Orlando, like they're saying this book is good. Or if it's somebody else, right? Always delve into a book. Give it its fair process of <laughs> analyzation. <laughs> is that even a word? Analyzation? Yeah. Okay. Give it that. And then come to the conclusion of like it wasn't worth it. Because I really believe I missed out on a lot in my 20s and my 30s. Because I didn't give pe- give people or books their full measure of due diligence. Yeah, that's good. So, anyways, there you go. Cool. All right. You um, to, I think we underlined the first the same thing, but go ahead. What, what's the first thing you want to talk about here? All right. So, um, he gives a little bit of an intro, kind of explaining why the importance of this book and how things have changed over the twenty years, but but these principles have kind of stayed the same. And um, one of the things that that stood out. So he starts with this uh, kind of a story, right? It's told in a in a very um, you know anecdotal way where you can kind of understand how this is happening. And so he basically says, I have two dads, right? Or rich dad and a poor dad. And he goes on to explain how that is and how 
basically had his dad and his mentor, right? And he, and he describes these two people as being very different and it's almost shocking. I mean, you can see it coming, you know, when you're reading it, but the idea that one of my dads was college educated, he was a college professor, um, very, you know, intellectual. My other dad uh, dropped out of school in the eighth grade and, you know, doesn't, didn't have that kind of education. And it turns out that the rich dad is the one that dropped out in the eighth grade and the poor dad is the one who's the college educated professor. And he, he makes this this claim here. And he kind of starts out by saying, uh, one of the reasons the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and the middle class struggles in debt is that the subject of money is taught at home and not in school. And the reality is very few schools really do a good job. Maybe there's like a semester class that kids take, you know, when they're in high school. But again, like think back to when you were in high school, were you really caring too much about like a one semester class and just getting done? It wasn't something that was like implemented throughout, right? Like, I mean, you hear jokes, I've heard tons of people make comments like, yeah, I know how to, you know, divide this and do this. And I know this, the, the, the scientific elements and all of that but I don't know how to write a check, right? Like, so there are basics that are a lot of times not taught in school. And the reality is, um, whether it's political views, whether it's, um, whether it's the way you see your worldview and, and specifically this, the way you understand and think about money, those things a lot of times are just learned and absorbed by what happens at home. And so if you don't have, or if you didn't have parents who, um, understood and thought about money rightly, then you probably weren't able to glean a great, understanding of money because it wasn't taught at school. So um, one of the things saying here is like, this starts at home. And he was lucky enough to get a good mentor who taught him this. And one of the reasons I've mentioned over and over that I love books and why we read books like this is you might say like, I didn't have great mentors or my parents didn't teach me these things about money. Like my parents did not teach me about money. They didn't understand money well. I learned about money, honestly, through YouTube and reading Dave Ramsey and starting to read a bunch of... Um, uh, essays from Warren Buffett, right? Like that's how I learned about money. So these people became my mentors, almost like my rich dad, even though they weren't like in my life teaching me. Well, a hundred percent. And it's interesting because, so when I was a administrator at the school that we worked at, I, I actually was the person that recognized that, Hey, econ was great, but these students weren't getting anything. And the only reason I saw that was because I did go through Dave Ramsey's course. I got out of debt and then I recognized that there was a financial literacy class that you could teach high schoolers. And it became one of the most popular courses in our school. And I actually guest lectured on how to make money reselling. And, and it, but here's the thing. I would not have known that unless I was exposed to it. Right. And you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so what these books do is they bring exposure. Right. And I'm looking at this and we'll discuss some of the questions, but I can see in my own family, like both sides. Mm. Right. Where. It's very true. You can have money, but you can have no money. Yeah. You can you can make lots of money. You can be middle class making really decent sized paychecks, you know, like what people would look at. I remember when I was younger, like hearing like, oh, like that family makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. And just like your eyes would bulge. Like, how is that even possible? And then when you get to that bracket, you can realize I can be making that much money and be so far in debt and not able to pay things and still live month to month, right? Bro, I worked at a financial I worked at a at a private school where like People needed financial aid, yep. but it's like, wait, like, and now I get it. There were people that truly needed it, but there were people that made lots of money yep. and they needed financial aid. And I could never wrap my head around it until I kind of got out of the nine of, well, I was in education and I'll talk. And again, well, one thing I want to say real quick, can I, I'm going to no, go throw in. So there's a couple of things to think about. So. You know, when I talk about all this, I want to I want everyone to understand, like, I don't regret the 15 years of education that I had. I loved it. And I still teach once a week because I love what I do. So 
there's there's different returns on on investment, right? And and it depends, right? If if you of a religious nature and you believe that like what you're doing is unto unto God or whatever it is, like there's a value to that, right? If 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 you're not, right? And and money is your goal, like yeah, there's value in in books like this too, right? There's 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 different ROIs, right? If if your goal is to be happy, then there's ways to get there. But, you know, there's always there's always a difficulty, right? Because you you you'll never feel complete. Like and and that's a whole nother discussion. But what what I want to say is like I'm going to talk a lot about about how when I was in education, like I truly felt trapped financially. But it doesn't mean that I wasn't satisfied and happy and every I looked forward to every day where I worked. Like I, I want people to understand that because if you are in a profession, right, where you go in every day and you feel like you are giving to the greater good that it is it is satisfying in your life. Like you go home and you lay your head on your pillow and you sleep and you're excited every morning and you're not making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's okay. Yeah. Like I, I don't want us to get into this mindset where like we're reading Rich Dad Poor Dad and rich means having a bunch of zeros in your bank and one zeros after a one in your bank account. Right. True. True. But one of the things he does mention and I think it's important to realize here is you can you can work, rely on your wage, right? And maybe even be making a low wage, but still begin to build wealth and become 100%, 100%, rich because yeah. of following the, the principles in here. And we'll get to them in a little bit, but but essentially it's this idea of assets versus liabilities, right? And so even if you're not making a lot of money, you can still be spending your money poorly, right? If you're making a lot of money, you can be spending your money poorly. So there's a way to spend your money wisely, whether or not you have very little money or you have a lot of money. So then the amount of your income has very little to do with the wealth and the, the ability to develop actual wealth, as opposed to how you spend that money that you do get. So um, whether you're making minimum wage or whether you're making six figures, um, you can implement these principles and be, start to be build wealth and become wealthy. 100%. 100%. And, and I just want to share that because I think back on life, like some of the happiest moments I had in my life, like I didn't have a lot of money, mm. right? I was dependent on other people. I, I had to like, I mean, I can share the whole story about moving to San Diego and I didn't have a car and I didn't have furniture and, 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 and things were provided and I still had my little family and, and things were good. Right. So I, I want people to understand, like, and this is, I think we were, we always talk about some pure hustle podcast that we're not all about the zeros after the one, right. That there is substantial happiness and there's joy, right. Joy transcends happiness. Right. That's that. That should be the ultimate goal. Like we you can always find moments of happiness, but happiness is fleeting. So anyways, before I get too much into that, I did. So the first line, <laughs> I don't know why I went down that rabbit trail, but I'm reading this and I didn't want people to go like, man, Orlando must have not could must have hated his 15 years. No, I loved my 15 years in education. I wouldn't I have no regrets, no regrets as far as the time that I spent. The regrets that I have is that I excuse me, I did not understand the principles that are in this book when it came to like, hey, there's other ways to make money, right? And he says that in the first chapter, which is kind of like his opening, his hindsight of the last 20 years, he says the lesson, the increases in income are going to entrepreneurs and investors, not to employees, not to the people who work for money. And, and that's the key thing, because that's what I, what I did for 15 years is 
I worked for money. I, I, I was not an entrepreneur. I was not investing. I just worked and I worked and I worked. And I really thought the more I worked, the higher the title, the more that I'd be in a better place. And no, yeah. that didn't happen. And it goes back to Richest Man in Babylon, right? The idea of paying yourself. And again, like, like even in Richest Man in Babylon, it's not just save. Like there was a portion of save, but a big portion of it was invest, right? Because mm -hmm. the idea in, in, in Richest Man in Babylon, it was called making gold slaves, right? Like making your money workers for you as opposed to you working for your money. And this book does a good job of kind of breaking down what does that mean? What does that look like in 21st century? How do we how do we find ways to make our money work for us? And, and practically, what does that look like? Yeah, agreed, agreed. And again, whatever stage in your life you're in, you have the ability to do this. Don't get down on yourself. Like for instance, myself, I look and I'm like, I'm 40. And I see people in their 40s that are at the latter stages of this book. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's just because I didn't know. Mm. Had I known this stuff when I was in my 20s, and, and maybe even if I knew, I wouldn't have applied them. Right. Because at the end, in my 20s, my end all was like to be a history teacher and coach basketball and have my family. And that was the end all. Right. But that's because I didn't I didn't know. And so hopefully this book exposes to a lot of you. And and don't get down. Like you look at people that are that are in their forties now and you've been doing this nine to five for so long and you're like, man, like all this time wasted. No, it wasn't time wasted. You just didn't know. Now now if you know this and you don't do anything, then it's time wasted. All right, let's get into this. Cool. Yeah, let's uh let's start let's start hitting these <laughs> principles in the contact. And and honestly, like I I'd love to just give a summary of the books. Like almost every page I have a ton of highlights, but um if you really want to read the story and kind of figure out like all of the elements of what he's talking about and the, the specific anecdotes that he gives, you got to dive into the book. You're, you're not going to get the full 100%. thing. You're not going to glean it all from us. Um, but one of the big things he talks about is, is using your brain and finding ways to creatively think about how to make your brain work for you. He says, my brain gets stronger every day because I exercise it. The stronger it gets, the more money I can make. And the idea is specifically um, fiscal responsibility or the, uh, of, of, financial education, right? Like literacy, financial literacy, learning how to make that money work for you. And you've got these, these opposing views between the two dads, right? You've got the one dad who's just stuck in this idea of like, I need to make money. One dad recommended study hard so you can find a good company to work for. The other one recommended study hard so you can find a good company to buy, right? And, and those ideas keep going forward. And there's like anecdote after anecdote of how these two dads differed in their view. And the reality is so many, I would say the vast majority of of Americans, and I'm sure the same applies across every country, fall into that idea of wanting the safety, wanting to work to make money. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, he says, sometimes you got to start there. You, you've got to rely on that income in order to start building your wealth. So it's not like you can just, well, I'm not going to work for money. Well, you got to work for money, but then with that money you get, you got to turn around and make it work for you. Um, and then, um, yeah. Well, well, okay. So building on that, it's a, it's a mindset thing, right? I mean, he gives two principles over on page 13. I don't know if it's the same for you and your massive book, but uh, he says, you know, one mindset is that taxes punish those who produce and reward those who don't produce. Right. And so you can, you can look at that or you can look at, you know, when it comes to having kids, right. The reason I'm not rich is because I have you kids, right. That was the poor dad. The rich dad said, the reason I must be rich is because I have you kids. Right. Or it's a principle of like, we can't afford that or the principle of like, how can we make it so we can afford that? Right. Mm -hmm. And it differs a little bit with Dave Ramsey because in Dave Ramsey's mindset, when we talk about this, it's more like if you can't afford it, don't get it. Right. But he takes it a little bit further. Like if make a way to afford it. Well, and Dave he doesn't Ramsey even say, say that. Well, he doesn't even say that though. He kind of, I mean, he does say that, but he does go on to say in that same section that 
don't always buy those things, but find out how to increase your wealth to the point where you could afford it, right? Like, don't say like, I just can't, like I can never have those types of things. I can never, is figure out how to get there. And when you get there, detach yourself. Like one of the, the claims he makes yeah. a couple of times is detach yourself from those things that you think you need. If you can detach yourself from those those things, don't buy stuff, right? Like there's this idea. And again, we'll get into it when we get to the, the part two, but there's this basic principle of people who are in poverty buy stuff people who are in the middle class by liabilities, people who are rich or wealthy by assets, right? And so you can be middle class or wealthy and still buy stuff. But a lot of times those people, I mean, he gives an anecdote coming up in the first chapter of, of why, you know, my friends have these cars and these nice things and dad, why aren't we rich like them? And his dad basically said like, well, well, the reality is they're not rich. You know, he, that's a company car and the company's going under and right. Like, so just because you have stuff doesn't make you wealthy. And my favorite line in the introductions, we're still technically in the introduction. My favorite line in there is money is one form of power, but what is more powerful is financial education. Money comes and goes, but if you have the education about how money works, you gain power over it and can begin building wealth. So, so true. So true. I, I again, it, it's don't let money control you, right? You control your money. And it, it's really, you know, when you're in debt, it's a really hard place to be because money is controlling you, right? Debtor is slave to the lender. So, hopefully as, as we're going through this, like all of you are thinking of ways like, okay, how can I break free from this? Right. What is a way? Right. And so I wanted to share, it's funny that you didn't, the last part you didn't underline, but I think it was so applicable to right now because there is so much uncertainty happening right now. Right. If, if we, it's funny, I was talking to my son the other day because my son's like, what is going on dad? Like what is happening? Like he's going to be a high school freshman. And 2020 has probably been probably the worst year as far as like outside of other things that may have happened in his life. It's probably the worst year on a grand scale, right? If you like, we got pandemic, we have all, all that's going on right now, with, right? With the, the terrible scenarios that are taking place in our society, with the, with the racism, what's going on with the, with the riots, with, with everything. And then we have all the political uncertainty and the financial uncertainty. There's people without jobs. Like it's really bad. Yeah. Right. But I, I, I took comfort and Robert Kawasaki saying this, he says, the lessons are meant not to be answers, but guideposts that will assist you and your children and your families to grow wealthier, no matter what happens in the world of increasing change and uncertainty. Yeah, that's great. So, so, you know, understand that like this book, you might go like, Hey, things are so wild right now. Like, will this even apply? Yes. Like that, that's what he's arguing here is that, these principles are meant to be insulated, right? That they'll work regardless of what's taking place. And, and so when I read that, I'm like, all right, let's see what he has to say. So let's look at that. Chapter one. That's yeah, chapter one. And just real quick, like even like a simple principle, like going back to uh, the last level up review we did with uh, the, co the valuation, the protocols, one of the principles in that book that I've implemented multiple times over the last several weeks, and it's just such a simple phrase is, you know, um, money's hard to get, right? Like don't buy something you don't need. Like don't waste money. It's basically the principle, like don't waste money. Money's hard to come by. It's easier to give money away than it is to gain it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of like how many times there's been something like, Ooh, that'd be cool. Oh, that'd be neat. Right. Like, I'm, there's times I'm going through offer up to buy stuff for the business. And I see things like, Oh, that's such a good deal. That new, whatever that new, oh, that's a cool hat. And I'm thinking of things for myself and I'm like, do I need that? No, right? Like I don't need to buy stuff. And so that one little principle has probably saved me hundreds of dollars over the last few weeks and just little things that I could have bought because I wanted it, right? And so 
that was one of those ideas of an education about how money works. Like you, if you don't need stuff, don't buy stuff. And that gives you that money that you can then later use for other things. hundred percent. All right. Did you agree with this as early on? Maybe I'm skipping over something, but uh, he, the, the poor dad who is a school teacher, by the way. So this relates to us <laughs> as educators. He says, because I chose to be a school teacher, school teachers really don't think about being rich. We just like to teach. I wish I could help you, but I really don't know how to make money. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think I'm in a not, I don't want to say unique place because I don't want to say I'm super special because I haven't implemented a lot of these things primarily because it hasn't been my goal. But I know those things, right? Like I know that I'm making a lot less money right now than I could be making because I'm doing something that I feel gives me purpose and it gives me meaning mm-hmm. and I enjoy it. Um, so I, I agree to that part. But then at the, the back side of my, like, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, but I know how I could use money. And if I were to be investing in these stocks, and if I were not to do this thing and I were to do this and so like, so I know the principles that could, could build long-term wealth. And, and some of them I could still be doing and just haven't because of laziness. And some of them, I just is like, you know, to me, that's not what the, the route I want to go. I don't want to save everything um, and not save or invest everything, but I want to spend some of it to have, you know, time with my family, even though I could probably 10 years from now have even better times. Uh, but I'm going to give that up for things I want to do now. So I get that. I kind of look at it like um, um, I tried to explain this to my wife the other day. Um, I, I'm, I'm starting to try to get back into to fitness and working out and things like that. And she made a comment. She's like, yeah, cause you always like you, you're happier and you feel better about yourself when you're like, you're losing weight and you look better. Right. And the, I tried to explain like the reason why isn't because I'm trying to be vain. Like, Oh, I want to look so good. Swole Mike. <laughs> but the reality is I know, like I've spent hundreds of hours reading research papers about protein synthesis and certain how to get hypertrophy and like the best ways to gain muscle and lose, like mobilize uh, proteins and fats and all like, I know so much scientific data behind weight loss and nutrition. And when I'm not doing those things, it almost makes me feel miserable because Mm -hmm. it's like, I look at myself in the mirror and it's like, I look this way because I'm lazy and I know better. And that's even worse, right? Like, so one of the good things about reading books like this is if nothing else, and it goes back to the beginning, it says, occasionally we talked about the cool guys at Jimmy's beach house, having fun. It hurt a little, but that hurt was good because it inspired us to keep thinking of ways to make money. Right. And so I think as you learn and as you listen to our level of reviews and you take a little nugget here and a little nugget there, you might start to almost feel like, I don't want to use the word shame, but like at times you might feel like, man, I'm doing that again. Like I've, I've learned about good habits. I learned about the five second rule. I learned about like certain codes and principles I've learned. And maybe I'm not following those things. And a little bit of pain in your life is a good thing. If it pushes you to say, you know what? Maybe I should list a couple more items. Maybe I should get back out there. Maybe I shouldn't get into more credit card debt because now you know better and that little bit of pain it caused can actually be the motivator that you need to start implementing the things, even if it's just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time you're implementing, but you can't implement them unless you have that education, that foundation in the first place. Yeah, agreed. I just, I looked at that and I'm like, that that was such a powerful statement because I would say that was me Mm. in the sense that, I mean, my kids never asked me, you know, how do you be rich dad? But it was one of those where it's like, this is all I know to do, right? And I'm not going to try to learn other items because, you know, and this can apply multiple multiple ways, right? This could apply whether you, you're you a car mechanic or this could apply whether, you know, you're an accountant or whatever it is. Like, you can get into this, stuck in this very zone, like, this is all I plan to do. I don't need to know anything else, right? And again, I regret that that, that was my mindset. Like, that's how I saw it. Like, I saw that the only way I was going to get better was to move up in the ranks in education. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, look where I am now. Not there. <laughs> so, and uh, that's because I choose to be. But all right, let's, let's move on. Yep. 
You're good. You're good. Go ahead. Oh, you want me to go ahead? I don't know. I get this book. There's so much in here. All right. So here's the thing. The, there is there's work that needs to take place, right? And so it's not like, hey, just thinking about it, right? He talks about it back on page 35. He's talking about the rich dad. So if you're trying to understand what we're saying when we say the rich dad, poor dad. So real quick, and I think you shared this a little bit. It's kind of like the richest man in Babylon, if you read that with us, the way it's told, it's told through a story, right? And then the next like follow-up chapter is somebody's like reflecting on the story mm-hmm. and pointing, you know, taking out the principle. So you could technically like skip every other chapter as of right now. But I mean, way. you learn a lot of the principles. No, 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 I agree. Yeah. You should read it all. But if you want to just skim it. So what he's saying here, let me just read this quote. He says, or if you're the kind of person who has no guts, you just give up every time life pushes you. If you're that kind of person, you'll live in all your life playing it safe, doing the right thing, saving yourself for some event that never happens. Then you die a boring old man. You'll have lots of friends who really like you because you're such a nice, hardworking guy. But the truth is that your life, you let your life push you in submission. Deep down, you're terrified of taking risks. You really wanted to win. But the fear of losing is greater than the excitement of winning. Deep inside, you and only you will know you didn't go for it. You didn't choose. You you chose to play it safe. Yeah. And I think working a nine to five, I, I believe, you know, whether it's an education, whether it's at McDonald's, whether it's, you know, you name it. A steady paycheck is playing it safe. Now, I'm not knocking Mike on it. I know Mike works in education, but if you're only working, this is what his argument is. If you're working only to play it safe, right? To get that paycheck is you're living in fear all your life. And it's weird to hear that because subconsciously, like, I think I knew that, right? Because to me, it was like, I remember when I tried to find other ways to make money, I was like, oh, I'm not just going to be a teacher. I'm going to do Saturday school. I, I should have been going to garage sales. Right. That, I mean, was that risky? Not really. Now that we know what we know about reselling, but yeah, it was different. Mm. Right. You know, I mean, again, how many, how many of you that are full-time resellers and people still think like you're crazy. Right. I get that all the time. Like even right now, I still get the, are you okay? But here's the thing, even with being a a full-time reseller, you can still be living in fear and working for money, right? Like you're working 100%. for yourself. Yeah, you're so right. But you're, you're so still right. you're still grinding it out. And how you spend that money is going to make a big difference, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, you're right. And so whether you're you're an even as an entrepreneur, if you're not building a business in a sense where, and kind of even going back to the four hour work week where you're starting to automate and you're starting to make it where mm-hmm. this now is an asset, this part of my my comp- branch of my company is making money for me and this branch is doing this. If you're not doing those things, you're still you're giving yourself a lot of freedom by working for yourself, but you're still, if you could still just be working for money. Oh, I agree. The money work for you. Mike, I'm still there. No. I'm not saying I'm no, not there. Sure. Like I hustle because I want to have enough of a cushion. If things go bad, I'll still be okay. And letting go of business is the harder part, right? The automation, mm-hmm. the having, a, and he talks about that. And I, I agree. I agree. I don't know if you're trying to point that out in my, in me, but no, it's, but it's very true. Like I find myself now, the more that like systems are in place, the better things are getting for me. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, I go back to page 41 and then I'll be quiet. So you can jump in. He says, just know that it's fear that keeps most people working at a job. The fear of not paying their bills, the fear of being fired, the fear of not having enough money and the fear of starting over. That's the price of studying to learn a profession or a trade. It's so true. So true. Because that's all you're talking. Like you need to be the best teacher. You need to be the best worker at In-N-Out Burger. You need to be the best because if you're not, then you're not going to have opportunities for promotion or to scale or da-da-da. 
And then he says, and then working for money. Most people become a slave to money and then get angry at their boss. How many times has that happened? Yep. That is consistently the case. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and the reason where he, when, when the rich dad, which is his friend, uh, his friend's dad begins to teach him these things. Uh, and the way that he starts to teach him is really interesting. So he first goes and he, he asks how to make money. And, and the, the rich dad basically says, okay, well, go come work for me. I'm going to pay you basically pennies what you should be making, much less than you should. Uh, and he says, like, why, why can't you just teach me how to make, tell me how to make money? And, and it's like, well, I teach differently. If you just want to sit in a classroom, you're not going to learn it. You need to work. And he goes on to say, like, uh, he, he gives here the cone of learning. And this is even as a teacher, something that that is taught to teachers. And, and oftentimes teachers don't implement this, but there's this idea of how much you retain. So it's like 10% of what you read, you retain 20% of what you hear, 30% of what you see, 50% of what you see and hear, 70% of what we say and 90% of what we do. Right. And that's the idea of like two weeks after something happens, how much of it do you remember? And the reality is you learn more by talking about it. You learn more um, about seeing and hearing it. If you're just reading it, though, you're, you're only going to remember little bits and pieces of it. But when you apply it, when you actually put the work into practice. And so my encouragement as we're reading through this book and even our other books, I mean, I've talked about this with, um, you know, specifically the negotiation one. There were a couple of principles in there where it's like, I've got to do this this week. I need to go out and actually try this mm -hmm. weird tactic of giving a price range. Because if I don't, then three weeks from now, I'm going to forget that that was one of the tactics he talked about and I'm never going to use it. But as soon as I use it a couple of times, two weeks from now, I'm going to retain 90% of what was said in that book because I actually applied it, you know, at least of that principle. And so if you're listening to these level up reviews and you get something that's like decent, don't be the person who's just learning like in a school where you sit because you're only going to, uh, the here part, two weeks from now, you're only going to remember 20% of it. But the moment you go out and put into practice some of these things, two weeks from now, you'll remember 90% of the content we talk about, right? So you've got to put into practice the things that are being talked about in this book. Um, and he gets paid pennies. Eventually he's convinced to work for free and he's upset and he's frustrated. And the rich dad uses those emotions to basically say people are, are, are motivated by fear and greed, right? Fear and greed. Even rich people are oftentimes motivated by fear or greed, fear of losing their income or the greed of, of more stuff, right? And he says the power that the wealthy have is to not, you can't get rid of those emotions, but is to think about the emotions and let your and make your emotions work for you. So if you have fear about losing money, then then you need to be thoughtful about okay, how can I ensure that I have more money? How can I find ways to increase income? How can I find ways to decrease expenses rather than having fear of I just have to go to work and 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 do my nine to five and hope that I don't get fired, right? Instead of letting that fear run your life, you use that fear, you use the greed or whatever it is, ambition, passion, drive. You use those two things but you have to involve your brain in it. The moment you start thinking, okay, I was offered very little money. It made me angry. I was offered a lot of money. It made me really excited, right? And those are the two things that were motivating them, fear and greed. But it's like, okay, now let's find a way to take those emotions and use them. You've got to learn to think about money. And an educational buzzword we use is like metacognition. But basically all that means is thinking about thinking, right? Like take a step back in whatever situation you're in, whether it's work, you know, family life, whatever, take a step back and specifically with finances and ask yourself, okay, why am I, why am I working so hard for the things I'm working for? Where, where are the areas I'm wasting money? Where are the areas? And we're going to talk about that probably a lot when we start getting into Dave Ramsey's book, but is that just the thought process and thinking about how does money work? How is this money coming in? How is it going out? And the moment you start to think about things, new opportunities start to open. Wait, I can make money here. I could save money here. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, 
just this constant fear or greed where you're just wasting all the money you get or you're you're never happy because of of not having enough. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey everyone, ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code, all in caps, PureHustle25. That's the numbers, 25. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sellhound.com and subscribe using our promo code, purehustle 25. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, And we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know, what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with list perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vindu is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, you need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, so First of all, is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our... our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, You're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, And your your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money. Yeah, and it's it's interesting the way he poses this. So he had these you know, so Mike and Robert, they both worked for this rich dad and the rich dad basically, he didn't try to make their lives miserable, but they became miserable, right? They, they hated the fact that they were working, they were making a lot of money. So Robert eventually goes like, I want to raise, I want more money. So he goes to him and they approach him and, you know, they basically are like, Hey, you're not paying me enough, blah, blah, blah. And then the rich dad asked some interesting questions, which you got to read the story as like he's using the story of him as a little kid to show, share the principles. And I think it's very powerful because I think two ways. One, he's showing that like this is things that a child can understand. Mm. Right. Second is. Like these are principles that the sooner you get it, the better things will be. Right. And he, he the, the one question that, that I kind of threw me in a loop here is I never thought about it. So Rich Dad asked the, the, 
you know, uh, Robert and Mike says, how did you feel waiting in line to see me once to get hired and once to ask for more money? And I thought about that. Like that was my 15 years, mm. like in education and when it came to money, right? It was always the first time was, um, you know, I remember I got hired a few days before the school started. And the only reason being is because people forgot about me and my resume. Mm. And if I had not called, you know, I wouldn't have gotten a job. So I showed up and I remember that terrible feeling that I needed this place to validate that I was a good teacher. Even though all through all through my student teaching, all through my master's teachers, they all told me I was one of the best teachers they've ever had. I didn't feel good enough still. Like I needed this job to make me feel good. Right. Mm. That was a terrible feeling. Like I, I even to this day, I think about like and even then after that. So when I try to get out of uh, where I was working because I was looking for a better financial opportunity, which if I could do it over again, I wouldn't have gone that on that road. I got turned down like three or four places. And I remember that rocked me. Mm-hmm. Like, are you saying I'm not good enough for your play? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, I always went back to what's wrong with me. Now I look back and I'm like, no, like, it wasn't what was wrong with me. Number one, they fully didn't know me. Number two, there were other scenarios that played out, right? And politics played a part in some places and that it up. So I look at that and I go, okay, I never want to experience that again. And then the other part is like, having to go in and ask for a raise like to me it's so demeaning i don't know i I just maybe i'm just crazy now that i'm a full-time seller like i i but to me it's like the fact that i have to show my show why you need to pay me more even though for the last few years i've already clearly showed you why you should pay me more and now i have to put it in writing and give you a presentation like i look at that i'm like that I'm I'm just not okay with that. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and the reality is, like, I'm I'm a firm believer in in advocating for yourself, um, and whatever position you're in, being the best asset you can be at whatever company you're at. So that opens up doors. Um, but again, that comes with the caveat of when you get that money from the company, right? Like for a while, you're going to have to kind of be a slave to money, right? Like unless unless you started off with a huge bank account that like your parents gave you when you were young, and you've just been kind of been able to to coast off of that. Most people have to start somewhere, right? Like you've got to grind your way, but along the way you're making progress. And so you've got two options. You spend that money and you waste that money and you you get yourself into more debt. And then what ends up happening is that company that was like the, if I can just get hired here, I'll be so happy. And you get hired there and then your expenses go up. It always happens with raises. Like I can't remember Mm -hmm. the exact number, but like it's statistically, if you were to get a 20% raise, your cost of living goes up 20% right? Like nobody saves, nobody invests that money. Everybody thinks like, if I could just make, man, I'm making 80,000 now. If I could just make 20,000 more, I would be, I'd be set. I'd be wealthy. And the moment you get that more, that, that increase in, in pay, your actual bank account doesn't start going up because you get a little bit more expensive car and you get a little bit more expensive. And then you're even more to the point where if I lose this job, I, I now I have even more that I couldn't it's afford. It's so scary. And it creates yes. fear. And so, um, that's I love the beginning of this because the principle from here that we get to is um, one, the rich don't work for money. And that's kind of the lesson that comes from chapter one is if you're not rich yet, if you're not wealthy and, and by wealth, he kind of describes it as how long you could go without working, right? If you're not wealthy yet, then you kind of have to work for money because you can't say, well, I don't, I'm not going to work for money because the rich don't. Well, until you get there, you kind of have to, to work for yeah. some money. But as you're working for that money, you have to slowly start making that money work for you. You've got to find ways to limit your liabilities, increase assets. And so um, that you can get to a place where 
you're still got money coming in from this job. And if you get a raise, sweet, that's just going to help you out more. And if you lose the job, you've set yourself up where I'm fine. I've built up wealth and I, I, I'm not, it's not going to crush my world not having this job. I can move on to something else, make more, make less, not going to matter, or eventually get to the place where all of your money's working for you and you're not having to rely on another company to, to give you that money. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I can't remember. I remember, I say, I, I can't remember how many times this has happened, but I knew, I knew fellow teachers that took a job at a school that paid a lot more, but then they had like an hour commute. And then on top of that, they couldn't afford where that they couldn't afford living where the school was located. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, so you're saying you're willing to sacrifice your time and your life to make what you think is more money. But in the end, you're like in the same scenario. Like that, that didn't change. Right now. Here's a, here's a, where are you? I, I'm like we're ahead on, of you. I think. We're on different pages. Uh, uh, we have we're di- pretty we, close. Well, no, but our books are different. Oh, so, okay. We're a page. So th- this stuck out to me here when he talks about it, here, here's, I'll read it real quick. He says, he see, so they're asking him questions and rich dad is saying stuff. And, you know, Robert asks, you mean most workers don't get paid everything, right? So, you know, every dollar you get, you get to keep, right? And he says, the rich dad says, heavens no, the government always takes its share first. How do they do that? I asked. Taxes, said rich dad, you're taxed when you earn, you're taxed when you spend, you're taxed when you save, you're taxed when you die. And so what the rich dad is basically saying, and I'll, I'll read it real quick again. How do you feel when Mrs. Martin dropped three dimes in your hand for three hours of work? And and Robert says, I felt like it wasn't enough. I seemed like nothing. I was disappointed, I said. And then he says, and that is how most employees feel when they look at their paycheck, especially after all the tax and other deductions are taken out. At least you got 100%. You mean, and then he goes into that story. So what he's arguing, and he says this later on, I might have missed it, but the biggest payment always goes to taxes. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that when you're in a nine to five, why, why do you think that is? Uh, well, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, one is people, they, they just worry about what their take home paycheck is, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're how much they might say like, oh, I got a $300 raise, but my take home has gone up, you know, 220 bucks or whatever. So like a lot of times people are thinking about that. The other thing is people don't realize that an employee. So if you, if you own a company, you get this, uh, but an employee costs you not just their salary, but costs you a lot of other things too, right? Like social security tax and um, workman's comp, like the, 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 the employee pays or the employer pays significant amount of money for benefits and all of these things. And for a, a portion of their, their taxes that the employee isn't technically paying, but that's money the employee is not getting, right? So I hire you for, let's say a hundred dollars a day, but you actually cost me $135 a day because of all the taxes I have to pay for you. So if those taxes weren't there, you'd be maybe making that 135. And so basically what he's saying is people, people don't realize how much, and, and there's kind of like the three things he says, like, um, the, you're, you're one, you're working for the money, right? So you're working for at your job, then you're working for the government because you're paying them. And then you're working for the bank, right? To pay off whatever debts you owe them. So you're really working for, you're kind of a slave to like three different groups. You're a slave to your employer and that, that's providing you your income. So you could just say your income. You're a slave to the taxes, so the government. And, and of course, we, you know, we can talk about like the altruistic things that you, you know, your tax money goes to help other people. And so we could, we could say like, okay, I understand that. But no matter what, as you make more money, you go into a higher bracket. Now you're, more of that money that you could be making is going to those things. So you're, you're paying that. And then you're also paying if you are in debt to the bank, right? So going back to richest man in Babylon, 
of those three things, that's even before you you have money to spend, right? Like you've had to pay all three of those things. Then you have some money to spend. And then you spend it on a couple of things like you need, like food, clothing, shelter, how like but, stuff like that. And then what do you got left? Right. And you're like, well, I got 200 bucks left. I've got $299 left. I can buy a Nintendo Switch, right? And so <laughs> you, you end up spending all of that money that you have, even a lot of times before you even see it. And the kind of the principle that was in, in Richest Man in Babylon was make yourself one of those things that you're paying, right? Like take a portion of that money and pay yourself with it, right? Yeah, and that's what I wanted to share was I didn't realize how much I was not making until I became a full-time reseller, Right. I mean, now I have to pay for my own medical insurance. I have to, taxes are, are killer when you go full-time, right? It's double, right? Because I have to, what my employer was paying before in Social Security and Medicare and whatever, now I have to pay for that, right? And then the more you make, the more you pay. And so I, I, want, I want us all to understand that, like, when you are working to make money, especially in an employer-type relationship, you are definitely not getting paid what you sign up for. And I know that's a given, but I know when I was getting a paycheck, like I didn't, I only worried about my take home pay. Man, but how much money am I losing? Like I know it now, but again, it, it forced me as a full-time reseller to reevaluate my finances. Like one of the best things that could have happened was for me not to get a paycheck anymore because now I, I'm way better about my money than I ever been before because I understand like how much I was losing. And then on top of that, when you're able to be an entrepreneur in full time, there's a whole lot of scenarios that you can have deductions because you're putting your money back into your business. But that's a whole other conversation. But I do think he talks about that later when he's talking about assets and liabilities. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and kind of goes into that, this theme um, on my page, page 45, he talks about um, people almost get tunnel vision, right? Because they see all of the expenses they have. They know how much money they have to make in order to pay the bills for that month. And he says, money is the carrot, the illusion. And it, this goes back to an earlier story. He says, if the donkey could see the whole picture, it might rethink its choice and chase, uh, uh, it might rethink its choice to chase the carrot. And we always get fixated in, I need to make X amount of money. This is how much I have to make in order to pay all my bills. And because we're so focused on that, we don't ever step back and look at the big picture and say, what is my actual goal? What could I really be doing? Are there other ways that money could come? But you get so fixated on a paycheck. And again, I'm not advocating anybody to just leave their job and saying like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to like, but you can, you could still be making your paycheck, being a very diligent and, and, and worthwhile employee that's above and beyond, but step back and look at the big picture and say, if I want freedom, real freedom, because even that, like if, if let's say you love your jobs, I love teaching. Let's say I can find a way to become so financially free that like, I'm not concerned at all about like the paycheck that I can just teach. And if there was like, okay, we're going to implement this new program. And I know for a fact that this program is terrible and the kids aren't going to learn. I can just teach the kids I want to teach them. And if they threaten to fire me, I'll be like, well, I'm a great teacher. You're not going to fire me. And if they do fire me, then it's like, oh, well, like I'm, I'm, I'm financially free. I'll go find another job where I can teach, but you can, you're free to do your passion without like, I have to do exactly this, 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 you know, that's where I was at though. Like, I mean, I haven't shared that much and I'm not going to share too much, but but at the end of my time at where I was, like, I loved, I loved the play. I still do. And I loved being there. But there came a place where I became bolder in what I believed because reselling was outpacing what I was making as an administrator. And, and Mike knows this because Mike was in the trenches of me. Like, I didn't see things the same way. And I was okay with that. Right. But when you are in a place where you're so dependent, you compromise 
And when you compromise, it's not a great feeling. You don't sleep well. You have anxiety. You're concerned. I mean, he says it here on page 46 of my small paperback book. It says, they work very hard for little money, clinging to the illusion of job security and looking forward to a three-week vacation each year and maybe a skimpy pension after 45 years of service. If that excites you, I'll give you a raise, 25 cents an hour is what he told the kid. But I think about that. Like, how many people do you know that have been yes people? And they've been yes people to the detriment of their own integrity and they still are let go. Mm. Like how many, like, I do believe a hundred percent and maybe cause I'm jaded, who knows? Okay. But I believe job security is an, an illusion. I think those days are done. I think COVID proved that, right? Like I, 100%. Think, I think that a lot of people, and again, I'm, I'm, I would never advocate for somebody who's in a solid, steady job that's allowing them to take care of their family to like up and leave. Please don't yeah, do that. Agreed, right? Agreed. You need to step back and you need to have everything in place and decide why you're doing it. And if there's the bigger picture is I'm so miserable, it's destroying my family. Then yeah, you need to figure out a way to, to get out of that. Right. Um, but there's nothing wrong with having a good, stable job. Like if you can, if you can have a solid, stable job and, and, and you're happy there and you're, you're building wealth while you're there. So you get that financial freedom and you're not stuck in a place where you're like, if I lose this job, I lose everything. But I think COVID proved that a lot of people who thought, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a job where, you know, maybe I'm protected by a union or I've got, you know, a pension or I'm, I'm in, like, I, this company's going to be around forever. And then all of a sudden a black swan incident happens. And a lot of people are now without jobs and some of those jobs aren't coming back. And I think it just goes to show that, look, you, you can be in a safe place, but even in that safety, you need to be preparing and you need to be working your way towards freedom so that when that safety goes away, you you're, you're okay. You've, mm -hmm. you've built some kind of structure that you can walk away from that or open up opportunities. Look like I'm, I think this time shows too, cause I think there's this, this false belief. Like if you were just to give everybody money, like if you were just to like give tons of people money, I know some people like have this mindset. If everybody was just given money every single month that people would sit around and just make beautiful art and like contribute to society like that. But I think COVID has also shown that like a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands right now. There's been stimulus checks. There's been increase in unemployment and those things haven't happened, right? And, and why is because people don't have like a sense of purpose. Like, so even if you're getting money, if you're sitting around and you're not doing anything without that sense of purpose, you're not going to, you're not going to flourish. You're not going to all of a sudden just be like, now I've got time and money. I'm going to become the greatest, you know, pianist of all times. And I'm going to contribute to society in that way. What you need to do if you're in a place of safety and security right now is say, okay, this is good that I'm here, but what is my purpose? And and can I use my purpose and the, my passions and these things to maybe step back and say, maybe this other thing over here can meet my needs too. I've, I've increased my assets enough that I've got a lot of money and income coming in through other revenues. And now I can pursue this thing over here, which might actually provide more value and meaning to my life. And so that's something you have to consider also. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right, you got any more from chapter one? Yeah, so we're, we're ending the, the this first chapter. Um, one thing that I like to say is a job is only a short-term solution yep. to a long-term problem. Most people have only one problem in mind and it's short-term. It's the bills at the end of the month. But think about it. Do you want to be short-term? Like, I don't want to be short-term when I'm 45. I don't want to be short-term when I'm 50. Like, it's okay. Like Mike and I are saying, like, if you love what you're doing, again, if you love what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. But... If you're working at a place and you can't stand it, make sure it's a short-term thing and you have the long-term in mind, right? That's going to go a long way. 
And, uh, you know, I like the way he ends the chapter, you know, because so basically Robert and Mike, they ended up they figured out when they were kids, they could get a bunch of comic books from a distributor and they opened like a library. It's a pretty cool story. Like you should. I mean, it's pretty genius. And then eventually they had to shut it down. But this is what they say. By starting our own business, the comic book library, we were in control of our own finances, not on not dependent on an employer. The best part was that our business generated money for us, even when we weren't physically there. Our money worked for us. And I, I hear that theme over and over and over again. And so I think that's a hard part. I think reselling, once you get to a certain stage, like you can coast, right? You can. I mean, I've talked about that. Like I can get up and I can go on a trip for a week and I'm, you know, sales are still coming in. I'm still having to work. Don't get me wrong, right? I've had it at times where I've hired a helper and they've been able, you know, to take care of things while I'm away. So that that's doable, right? But I think if, if you come into that mindset that as I'm building my business, whether it's reselling, whatever it is, that has to be the long-term goal, right? And for our work, we talked about that. 10X, all those talk about that. Are you ready for chapter two? Uh, I was going to ask about that because I know you've got, um, you wanted to maybe talk about questions. So we're an hour into this. Yeah, I wanted to do our social drop. Okay. So, well, before social drop, so I was going to ask, do we want to, we're an hour in, do, do we think we'll be able to make it through chapter two? I think so. Okay. So I we'll, think so. we'll power through chapter two then. All right. But real quick, hey, before we move on, if you have not had a chance to join us on social media, please do so. We drop a lot of content there. And on top of that, we love engaging with all of you. So if you could follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, we are Pure Hustle Podcast. Yes, I did say TikTok. And if you could also follow us on Twitter at Pure Hustle Cast. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you'd like to see video, uh, we are on YouTube. So you subscribe, hit that bell notification. Uh, I think we may have a live coming up soon. 100, not 100% sure, but our live are some of our best. And the only way, and some of our best times with our audience. I don't know if there's some of our best. That's up to you to judge. Uh, but if you'd you like be to judge, the that. best way to know when that happens is to subscribe and hit that bell notification. And you could always give us a call and let us know. Did you read this book in the content? How did it change your life? How did it make things better? Or you give us a phone call. 619-738-1170 at 619-738-1170. Or shoot us an email. Pierce podcast at gmail.com. That's Pierce podcast at gmail.com. And as always, if the podcast has meant a lot to you or it's changed things for you, and you know, you want to just share that. Hey, reviews. We're at like 293. We're like seven away from 300. It would be awesome if by the next podcast we have 300 positive reviews. We would love that. So please help. Yeah. So, like that. all right, let's go to lesson no, or, or chapter two, which is lesson two. Yep. Lesson two, chapter two, uh, why teach financial literacy? Um, so, the author of the book explains that he ends up retiring um, at a somewhat young 47. age. Um, and he does so even though his friend, Mike, who learned all these things with him, continues on working and builds this empire and becomes extremely wealthy. Uh, Robert was also very wealthy. He makes a lot of money. And he decides, you know what? Like, I'm happy with this. My money's making money for me. Now, one thing I want to clear up because um, I think there's a... a, a a misconception of what like passive income is. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times people think this idea of like passive income, like, I do this one little thing and money's just going to keep coming in. I'm in the Bahamas. I'm right. A, I'm not even on my laptop. Yeah. I'm just chilling. So that's, that's, that's a, that's the misconception of passive income. But the idea behind this chapter is teaching you what an asset is and how to build assets and assets are things you've got to work for and buy. You've got to work really hard to get the money to, to buy these things that end up making more money that you can buy more of them. And eventually it, it snowballs, right? It's like it's, it's incremental growth over and over. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And these are the things that make you money companies, um, 
maybe a real estate that's income income generating real estate or um, investments in stocks, like certain things like that. And we'll talk more about what an asset liability, income stream versus expenses, all of those. Uh, but so he's able to to do that. And what he says here is, uh, for us, it means, and he's talking about what what retirement is. For us, it means that barring unforeseen cataclysmic changes, we can work or not work and our wealth grows automatically staying ahead of the inflation. So this isn't passive income in the sense of, hey, I like bought an ad for this thing that um, is going to go up and I'm just going to be able to do nothing forever, right? Like maybe that is a type of asset you can get, but passive income versus an asset is an asset is something that makes you money long-term, right? Like uh, a stock that you purchase that that pays dividends, right? And you're constantly, every quarter, you're making dividends off of this stock, right? That that would be, some people call it passive income, but we would say an asset because it's it's a something that you own that's making money for you. And so that is the goal in this chapter is to kind of teach the principle of buying assets versus liabilities. And if I could summarize the whole chapter, and I, I think he says this a few different ways, but the, I think the simplest and easiest way I've heard people say is, Rich people buy assets, middle class or poor people buy liabilities, right? Liability is something that costs you money and asset is something that makes you money. Yeah. And that's the easiest way. I mean, it's interesting. So is there another definition outside of Robert Kiyosaki's definition? Like, is that the understanding? That's what, I, that's, yeah, financially that's what asset I mean, because is. he he kind of makes it sound like his is different. No, no, it's not. In fact, because when I was in um, high school, my favorite class that I ever took was an economics class. Um, and it wasn't like econ. I took econ teacher. No, no, no. I took government. <laughs> I took econ, but I took like, I took, this one was business economics. And so like okay. there was a whole, it was, it was a two semester class. One semester um, was bookkeeping and finance. And the other semester was like theory and something else. Uh, but the one we, we literally learned about T charts, credits and debits. And we learned about assets and liabilities and we like played monopoly and we never used cash. We had to use like balance sheets mm. and we, we kept like, T charts of income coming in, debits, credits, and we had to like learn how to do this. And basically, we were taught by a guy who used to work at a bank, and he explained like if I if I these three things that you learn right now, and we learned them in the first like few months how to do them pretty well. He goes, uh, any bank would hire you to come in, and you can do a bunch for them, like more than just being a teller and counting money. Like you can sit back there and you can actually keep books with just this information, right? Like keeping a balance sheet and learning a T chart, debits and credits, how those things work. And so, yeah, that, that essentially is what an asset is. So a business, uh, a business balance sheet is determined by um, its income versus its expenses and then its assets minus its liabilities, right? That's the value of a company. So for instance, when a lot of times when people say like my net worth, uh, what they're saying is here's how much money I have available to me. And here's how much uh, money I owe, right? Like if you subtract what I owe from how much I have, that's what I'm worth. So if I have a million dollars, but I owe 500,000 on my house and my car, my this, my that, I only have 500,000, mm -hmm. right? That is, that's your net worth. And so net worth is basically, or your, your wealth is your assets minus your liabilities. Now, now is he arguing? So that's the thing in retailer terms. Mm -hmm. Does inventory play a part in that? Um, Okay. I was wondering about that because he had mentioned that it's, they're not assets. Yeah, so, I, I knew that. I was just I was just wondering. Um, I mean, okay, so technically it kind of is an asset. If if you buy something, you could sell it. It's it's a I can't remember what the term is in in, in the, the business world. If you know, let us know in the comments below. But inventory is a certain category there. Um, but like a technically an asset is something that that makes you money. So like if a business uh, puts out. Um, if somebody buys like a, a portion of the business or the business is able to like sell a piece mm -hmm. of it and people are, are like rent. Okay. So like, let's say I, let's say I own a business and somebody uh, rents equipment for me, right? That equipment is now an asset. I make a hundred dollars every week yep. that I have to own this piece of equipment. Right. And so 
Um, it cost me X amount. I'm going to make X amount on it. Now, liability is something you have to pay for, right? So like I had to buy computers, right? The computer sits in my office. I have to fix it. I have to pay for somebody to maintain it. That's technically not an asset. Like, although I could, I could, I could scrap it and sell it and maybe recoup some of my costs on it. It's not technically making me money. So if you have a rental company, you're renting things out, like those would be like assets, um, in a more practical term for like, um, like for you and for me, like one of the things we've been trying to do recently, um, is, Okay, so a, a stock, a dividend-paying stock would be considered an asset, right? Mm -hmm. Because what it's doing is it's saying every single quarter, we are going to pay you 0.23% or whatever it is of the amount that we've grown per stock that you have, right? So you're getting paid for that. Or if you if you invented something and you sold the patent and they're like, all right, we're going to pay you um, $1,000 um, every month that we use this patent, right? Like that is now... that intellectual property becomes an asset for you because it's money coming in. Um, so that's kind of the difference between an asset and a liability. Liability, like a car, right? He even argues in this chapter that that a house. A house. Yeah. So and, and it's true. So now let, let, let's pause there for a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? It, it, it is actually true. So a personal house is it, it can increase your net wealth, right? If the value of the house goes up. But the house itself, unless it's an income generating house, meaning you are renting it out to somebody, if it is your own house, you might like Okay, so there's a lot of ways of thinking about it. You could say, okay, like if I was renting, I'd be paying this money anyways, whereas this way I'm paying down debt. Um, and so, but technically it's a liability. The reason it's a liability is you've got to pay property tax on it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to, like, there's all these expenses it has and it doesn't actually bring in any revenue. Well, he also argues that it ties up your money. Yeah. Right? In the sense that like, one of the reasons I have not bought a house was one, because I live in San Diego. <laughs> Two is... I remember when I initially was going to buy a house, I'm like, wait, so I'm going to be paying this much and this money, I can't do anything else. Like all I can do is pay my mortgage. This is a liability because I can't make any money off of this. Right. Where some others argue like that, that you, you should never own. I mean, Grant Cardone goes the next level and says you should never own your own home ever, which I, I'm more, I mean, I, we, we've had discussions. Like, I, I do believe that. Like, I, I don't think I'm ever going to own my own home just because I can't see myself unless I can pay cash. Now, unless I can pay cash for a home or there's the Dave Ramsey principle. Like if you, you can own a home and it costs less than 25% of your monthly like income or money that comes in, then it's worth it. To yeah. You. That's the only time you should be buying anyways. But the same thing with rent, like your, your rent should only be a hundred percentage of, but that, that the idea of owning your home, right? Cause I, I used to own a home and I was able to sell it and make some money off of it. Um, and for a while it was an income generating property that ended up turning into a nightmare. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was, I was 19 years old, right? Like, Hey, but props 19, you know, the home. <laughs> um, but the, <clears throat> the, the reason I would maybe push back against that okay. is, um, Yes, it, it's not an asset and and wealthy people are buying assets. Uh, now, it, it potentially, usually, statistically, um, prices go up on property if you buy at the right time. There's always going to be peaks where it's like, okay, it might not ever go above that. Like maybe that was a bad time to buy. But um, the reason I would, I would argue it potentially is a good idea because for instance, I bought my fifth will, right? Like we're using our fifth will yeah. and it's technically a liability, right? Like it costs us every month. We have to pay a certain amount, right? But the amount I'm paying every month, like I did the math, if I were to take what I paid in rent when I was renting, if I were to pay that every single month, what I paid in rent on my fifth will, my fifth will be paid off in like four years and I would never have to make another payment on it, right? 
Whereas if, and the same thing is true for a house. Okay. And that's an extreme because the payment on a fifth wheel is like $500 versus like $2,000 rent, you know, mm-hmm. in San Diego. But if you were to say like, okay, if I pay $2,000 every month and for the foreseeable future, I'm living in this state or in this County every month, I'm paying $2,000. What you're doing in that is you're paying somebody else's asset. Yeah. Right. You are true. somebody else's asset. Whereas if you own the home, it's a liability, but you're building eventually you're building wealth, right? Like eventually if you could ever pay it off. That's where I, I'm not pushing back. I think I agree with you. What Robert Kiyosaki says is that you don't, you want to set yourself up financially that when an opportunity arises to be able to purchase an asset that can make you money or a lot of money, you want to be positioned in that place. Right. But, well, that would be like, okay, so again, that wouldn't be your personal home. So he would consider buying an income generating real estate property. So like if you bought a condo or something. Yeah. But if you own a personal home, which takes away money for you to be able to do that, he would argue against it. He would, but I almost guarantee you he owns his home, right? Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Okay, so I'm getting there. I'm slowly getting there. So no, I, I agree. So where I, where, where I landed with this is if you're able to buy a home and we, maybe we're jumping too soon, but so here, I'll just read it. He, we're jumping on page 107. He says, um, he's talking about people that are loaded with liabilities. He says, they are loaded with liabilities, have no real assets that generate income. Typically, typically, their only source of income is their paycheck. Their livelihood becomes entirely dependent on their employers. So when genuine deals of a lifetime come along, these people can't take advantage of them because they are working so hard, are taxed to the max, and are loaded with debt. Then he says, Keep liabilities and expenses down so more money is available to continue pouring into the asset column. Soon the asset base will be so deep that you can afford to look at more speculative investments, investments that may have returns of 100% to infinity. $5,000 investments that soon turned into a million or more. Investments that the middle class calls too risky. The investment is not too risky for the financial literate. So what I say is this, and this is where I've, I've come to this. If I come to a place where I can personally own a home and I could literally like stop what I'm doing and I could still pay for it for a long while, it's not an asset. I mean, it's not a liability for me. It's still a liability. It's a liability, but it's a super low risk liability, right? The lower the risk of that liability, the greater the chance that I'm going to buy that home. Yeah. But the other thing though is, so that's only looking at assets and liabilities, but then you also have income and expenses. So mm-hmm. assets create But does that income. make sense though? No, it does. It does. Like, uh, I just want to finish the point. Sure. Quick. I would say I'm not going to buy a house for myself Unless it's something that I'm not going to lose sleep over. No, sure. And you shouldn't. But the thing is... But so many people do. But, My own parents do. No, I agree. I agree with that. But here's the here's the logic. And, and again, this goes to the idea of, of depending on where you live and what the market's like. But if, if it costs more to rent or just as much to rent as it does to buy, then you might as well buy. Right? That's the difference. Because if, if when you're talking about expenses, so if you are, are having to pay $2,000 every single month for to rent, right? That's the cost of your rent. That's an expense. Another expense would be $2,000 mortgage. Both of those are expenses. Mm-hmm. One of those is slowly building that wealth. The other one is somebody else's asset, right? So if you had to choose, they're both expenses, but one is a better but you expense. Can't, but you can't get out of it though. That's, the, that's my major deal. Like you could take a 15-year loan. You could take a 30-year loan. I know people have taken, you know, 50 to 60-year loans. I, I, think, I think that's as far as it went. Maybe I'm going too far. You can't get out of it. Like you are, you you are, you are stuck unless you sell the home or you foreclose or whatever it is. But if you rent, 
you still have that freedom. Like I can get out of any scenario I want. Well, I mean, at any point in time, are you only if you're on a month to month, right? Like if you're on a year, if you're even if, but a year is a lot more freeing than 15 years. Well, that's true. But again, the same thing is if you were able to build, if you were able to pay off some of the the mortgage debt, if you were able to pay off, you know, a certain percentage of that, then you sell, even if you break, even at the end, you get out of it and, and you're just like you rented. And if you built any money, if the house built any equity, then you walk out ahead. So um, again, so if you're renting for 30 years and you paid the same amount that you'd pay for 30 years mortgage, you could have owned a home. So the end of 30 years of renting. So if you've rented for 30 but years of, 30 of your life, year, 30 years, that means at 70, I'm going to own a home. Okay. Like I'd rather use that. And again, I think we're both saying the, we're both speaking truths. <laughs> I think we just have different perceptions, but for me, it's like, I'm 40 now. And tell me to own my own home. I have to lock myself into a mortgage over the next 30 years, or I can instead use that money. But you don't have, but that's the point I'm trying to make is you actually don't have that money. True. True. But because you have that rent, it's the same expense. But I'm stuck. Like it's, I'm, I'm continually stuck for the next 30 years, right? Instead of I can find, yeah, maybe I, okay. So let's say it's 2000, no matter what. I own a home or you rent or I rent, right? Over time. Okay. I see what you're saying. But, if I choose to downsize, if I choose to, you know, go another direction, then I guess have, what else you could do with that house. Now, again, of course you have to have money, but this is what I did, right? I own I, my I home. We're both right. That's what I think. Well, I mean, yeah, but here's the, here's where I'm saying is let us know in the comments. I'm interested. So if you own a home, let's say, let's say you have a 30 year mortgage, you get 15 years, you get close to halfway off, maybe even paying a little bit extra because it's going to take more than 15 years to get halfway off. But let's say you get 15 years, you, you have bought a $300,000 house. It's down to 150. It's still a $300,000 home. Let's say the price hasn't gone up at all, but you have $150,000 now in equity. Okay. Yeah, but there's so much. Okay, Hold on. But, no, no. Let me finish. Okay, I'll let you finish. Okay. All right. So you've got $150,000 in equity. You're yeah. stuck, right? Like I've got another 15 years. I want to move. You move. You rent that house out for what it costs in your mortgage. Now it's an asset. So you just turned your house that was whatever into $150,000 of equity and it's now an asset for you because somebody's renting it and paying your mortgage. Mm -hmm. So you're not stuck. You can literally leave. I know I know somebody in the military who every like four years went to another state because they got redeployed. Yeah. Every state they went to, they bought a home. They started paying it down as fast as they could with all the money that the, the, the military gave them for housing allowance, right? Like it's an expense they had to pay. So they paid down as much as they could. And as soon as they moved, they hired a rental agency and they rented it out. By the time that person left the military, they had like eight houses all over the United States being rented out. But I think they were, they were never stuck. But I don't believe they were ever they. But they had a long term goal in mind. But why? Right? They why, were buying. They were buying that as an asset, not as a liability. Right. I think. I think a lot of people buy as a liability. Like this is the house I'm always going to live in for the rest of my life. I think that's a different perspective. But the 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 key thing with a home, it's not just the mortgage. It's the property taxes. It's the maintenance. It's the HOA. Possibly. It's all these expenses that creep up and creep up and creep up and creep up. But you pay those things in rent too. I don't pay HOA. Uh, we have that argument. I don't, I don't pay property Who taxes. Who do you think pays those things? I don't pay maintenance. Who pays those things? My landlord does. And who does the landlord charge for those things? Doesn't charge. My rent doesn't go up because of that. It might go up over time. Yeah. But you're paying HOH fees. You're paying all those things in your rent. No, I'm. I'm but I'm. Okay, this is. I remember this discussion. There is so much more to pay for if you own a home for yourself. 
if you own a home that in 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 time you're gonna t- you're gonna turn it from a liability to an asset, I think it's worth it. If it's something that you're gonna keep, it's gonna cost you more and more and more, and that's money out of your pocket that you cannot invest in further business. But if you have that same expense by renting, and what happens when the somebody that you're renting from says we're raising the the price twenty percent this year, or we're raising it fifteen percent now? But then you, you have, have to. the but then you have the freedom. I have the freedom to renegotiate or leave. And what if there's nothing? It, you needed a three bedroom house. There's no three bedroom houses in your area. You have to like now you're a slave to your landlord. But, but I'm but I'm not. But that's the thing. Like there there's I have never. I mean, again, I've been renting for 15 years. I've never so run you could into own that half a home. Yeah, but but then again, I'm paying more and more. Where that money of property taxes and maintenance and whatever else goes on. I end up having to pay. Now, again, I think we're both right. I think we're both right. I don't think this is a, this is right or wrong. I think we're both right. I think Robert Kiyosaki would 100% argue that buying a home is a liability, especially when you're trying to grow in business. Well, and what I, I think, I don't think that's what he's arguing. I think what he's arguing is- I 100% think he's arguing that. Okay, because, let me finish what I'm saying. All right. He, what he's saying is, People, when they're evaluating that they're what they consider, he says the, the error people make is they don't understand what asset and liability is. They put the wrong things in the wrong categories. A lot of people consider their house and their car as assets. What he's saying is those things are liabilities, right? He's not saying don't own a house or a car. That's the difference. He's not saying you shouldn't own a house or a car. He's saying if you own a house and a car, you need to put those in your liability category. And he uses like bar graphs, almost he uses boxes, but I think it's great. I mean, you should take a look. It's pretty simple. Basically what he's saying though is your assets column, that bar should be higher than your liability. So you can have a home, you can have a car, those things are liabilities. But if in your mind, you're calling those things assets, then you have a, you have a misconstrued idea of what your wealth is. If you're like, well, my, I have my assets are my two cars um, and my house. Well, those things are actually liabilities. Those aren't assets. They're not making you any money. So, if, but if you say, these are my liabilities and my assets are still higher than that, or you can look at it and say, oh, my liabilities are higher than my assets. I need to spend more money to acquire more assets. He's not saying that you should never have a house. He's saying a lot of people wrongly think that their house is an asset. Think that that's that. So that's the, I okay, think no, it's a I, mindset. Thing. I see what you're saying. I see what so you're So the saying. mindset thing yeah. is people, instead of acquiring more assets, so a wealthy person would look at that and say that because they put it in the right category, go, Ooh, I need to acquire more assets. A non-wealthy person who's not educated in finance would say, I don't have a need to get more assets because my, my retirement plan is my house. My, they, yeah. so they're counting it as an Which asset. Dangerous. Right. So I'm going to use the term for never split the difference. That's right. So I'm not, so those of you know, if when, when I say that's right is I agree because I believe what Mike is saying instead of like, you're right. That's me giving up on Mike. <laughs> and so, but you need to be careful. I mean, I- Okay, real quick, just on my page, it's 73. Yeah. And so um, you're just probably different. But here's the cash flow pattern of a rich so person. He's, so he's showing a chart. Okay, so the chart- On the bottom, there's the balance sheet, which is Mm -hmm. assets and liabilities, Mm -hmm. and the top is income statement. So asset has a line that goes up to income. So the assets are real estate, stocks, bonds, notes, Mm -hmm. intellectual property, okay? Then there's the liabilities, mortgage, consumer loans, credit cards. So he's not saying that a rich person doesn't have those things. He's saying, what he's arguing is that if your assets outpaces your liabilities and, and expenses, then you're rich. Yep. And, and I 100% agree with that. Even, even now, like I, I'm I'm not rich, I'm not wealthy, but I will say reselling takes care it takes care of my bills and more, right? So and then look at I'm so. not I'm not as concerned about stuff. And so now I can put 
stuff into, let's say, the stock market, or I can put them into another business or another thing I believe in. Okay. So just to, to give the other... So the cash flow pattern of a poor person, they don't have anything in the bottom balance sheet. They don't have assets or liabilities. Agreed. What they have instead... because So let's people, break down each one okay, of them. Okay. So poor people don't buy assets or liabilities. They buy stuff. They buy expenses. You so just taxes, pay bills all the time. That's and, all you do. and rent is an expense. So he would consider rent in the cash flow pattern of a poor person. Not saying everybody who rents is poor, but that's that's a, just like a common picture. No, but he would say that though. Like he would say, not, not every poor person pays rent, but he would say that a poor person is somebody that all their income only goes to expenses. Right. That's so it. then a middle-class person has income, they have expenses, but they have, they buy liabilities. So they're, so they have on the bottom balance sheet, they have a mortgage. So they still have income. So, so middle-class, they have all of the same things on the, in the liabilities they, category, but they can't buy any assets, but they don't have assets. A rich person has mortgage, consumer credit cards. As, so I would say even people who own homes, who, who are considering it wrong and they, they think it's an asset, they'd oftentimes be more considered the middle class. So oh, renting, okay. so, so, so I, the, the only point I'm trying to make is even using his point here is that not owning a home or not having a mortgage is a liability. It's okay to have liabilities. It's better to have a liability than an expense. So liabilities are going to come with some expenses, but I still think overall. Now, if you're the kind of person who are like, I'm 20 years old, I'm, I'm, I'm changing jobs all the time. I'm like, going to be traveling all over the country. Yeah, probably buying a home is not the smart thing. Rent because it offers you the freedom. But if you're like, hey, I'm living in San Diego for the rest of my life or 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 probably at least the next 10 years. And if something changes in the next 10 years, then I can turn this mortgage that I have into an asset because then I'll turn it into income. So I still think if you can buy a home, I think if the market is right, it's probably a good, it's a good thing. I, 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 would, I would say owning a home is better than not owning a home. But when's the market going to be right? And then that, that's my question always is like, unless you, we, you have a scenario like you did in 08, right? Unless we have a scenario that no one knows now, right? Six months from now might be the time. Don't know. Right. But I, I think it's, it's, it's very tough. I, I just, to me, I grew up my entire life thinking like the end all was to get a house and how I look. And it's like, I see so many people that can't go anywhere. They can't move. They can't change their jobs. They can't do da, 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 because of their mortgage. They are bound to their mortgage and that controls their life. And so if I can buy something and it's not going to control my life, I'm all for it. Yeah. And I think part of that too is that the thing that they're, they're so focused on the carrot, right? Of their job, paying the bills so they can pay their mortgage instead of thinking, okay, what would it, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Let's say I move and I rent this house out and, I, and it covers all of my mortgage minus $300. Now this house is costing me $300 a month, but I'm gaining $600 a month in equity on the home. Okay. So now all I have to do, I can find a better job in another state, another city, whatever. And I've got this asset for me, uh, maybe with some expenses that are a little more, maybe, maybe the rent will pay even more than my mortgage costs. Right. So, so those people oftentimes aren't thinking of all of the options. So I think some people who are slaves to their mortgage is because they're not thinking of ways that they can turn their mortgage into an income generating, uh, real estate. So let me, let me just read what Robert says and we'll move on from this. Is that sure. okay? I'm yep. not trying to silence you. I'm just no, you're saying, good. let's move on. All right. So Robert Kawasaki, this is what he says about the dangers of owning a home for yourself. He says, when it comes to houses, most people work all their lives paying for a home they never owned. In other words, most people buy a new house every few years, each time incurring a 30-year loan to pay off the previous one, which I see that all the time. Even though people receive a tax deduction for interest on mortgage payments, 
They pay for all their other expenses with after-tax dollars, even after they pay off their mortgage. Then he says, my wife's parents were shocked when the property tax on their home increased to $1,000 a month. They had already retired, so the increase put a strain on their budget. Houses do not always go up in value. I have friends who owe a million dollars for a home that today would sell for far less. And then his last point is, the greatest losses of all are those from missed opportunities. And this is what I've been arguing the whole yeah. time. If all your money is tied up in your house, you may be forced to work harder because your money continues blowing out of the expense column. Instead of adding to the asset column, the classic middle-class cash flow pattern. If a young couple would put more money into their asset column early on, their latter years would be easier. Their assets would have grown and would be available to help cover expenses. And see, and, and as, a, as, a, as a 40-year-old, that's where I'm at. <laughs> like, I really feel that if I could redo, like, let's say I decided to become an entrepreneur in my early 20s, I would not try, my, my end all would not be to buy a home. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't. It'd be into building a business and growing it, something that generates, generates continual income. So, all right. No, that's good. I listen to, I'm currently listening to on Audible, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's yeah. autobiography. It's amazing. At one point we need to do it because that man uh, accomplished so much from being, you know, from a poor family in, in Austria uh, to becoming a sensation in the bodybuilding world to becoming like a real estate guy and a business guy. And then, you know, making movies, like he, he's got a great story. And one of the things that was interesting is when he, he bought some like property that was just land that he was buying as an investment. And at one point he was a, he was a numbers guy. I don't sort of saying he was a hardcore numbers guy went, took college classes that he had no intention of getting any kind of degree. He was just like, Oh, this looks like a good business class. This looks like a good finance class. So we learned numbers and, and he bought, a house and he knew all the numbers and he'd go to the realtor and he'd basically say like, I need to buy it at this point, at this point, if I can make this much. And the realtor's like, yeah, but it'll go up in value. And he goes, yeah, well, if it goes up in value, that's my profit, not yours. Right? Like this is what I'm buying the house for. And he, his thing was he wanted to buy, I think it was a, a fourplex. So like a four unit building, but he would live in the nicest one. And he wanted the, 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 what he was able to rent the other three out to cover for his payment and the building. So like he basically lived there for free and they were paying for his building and he, he did it. an asset. He did it right. Like yeah. he made that happen. And so, um, it, it was just such a cool story. And just to think like, okay, like, is there a point in time where like, and, and I think like the, the duplex is a good example of that of people who like buy a house or build a, a duplex and they live in one of them and they rent out the other one. And the other one is able to pay for most of the expenses, um, and the cost of the mortgage. And maybe their total payment for the building is like a thousand dollars a month instead of like, four or 5,000, right? So when you can do something like that, and, it, and again, it's a mind shift change. It's like, how can I create assets? And the hard part is, because he talks a lot in here about uh, rich people, they buy more assets. Um, and he doesn't do a very good job, I don't think, in this chapter. And, and part of the hard part is just in general, I'm trying to explain what assets are and how to acquire them practically, right? So like as, as just a, a normal person, and I think the easiest assets that we can acquire right now, and again, I'm not giving you any stock advice about what stocks to buy. Swipe but, up to buy a Robinhood stock so we uh, get free stocks. I'm just joking. Um, so stocks, right? Like buying into a company. And again, if you're only buying so that you can buy and sell, buy and sell, then then, it, then you're just trying to treat it like a job. But if you're buying companies who so say, I own a piece of McDonald's and every single quarter, McDonald's is going to pay me money for owning a piece of the company, depending on how well they do, right? If that's how you treat it, you're buying an asset intellectual property, right? Like buying, um, buying or creating patents. Um, and then the other one is real estate. Like those are like the three easiest assets. Um, the other, the easiest one right now is stocks, stocks. Yeah, for sure. But then like, okay, business. So we talked about that at the beginning is how do we take something like our resell 
which is a job, right? Like you're treating it like a job. How can you find ways to automate certain elements of what you do if you wanted to scale to that to eventually make your business an asset? Can you get a storefront? Can you get people working in the storefront for you? Can you get like all of these things start to add up and maybe not everybody's there where they're like, okay, I want to, I want to go down that route. But if you're making money every single month reselling, if you got a big chunk of money coming in, you're paying your bills, you got some left over, what should you do with it? Well, one of the things I'm trying to do, okay, so I have a full-time job that gives me a pension. I've put into a 401k in the past. So I've got some built up savings and he's against savings in the sense of like just putting money in a bank or in a, in a, in a mattress. Right. But like investing in stocks is not, is not savings. It's investing. So I, I have investments. Uh, but if every single time I get money from eBay and every single time, you know, that money comes in, all I do is pay for bills, maybe buy more inventory. If all I'm doing is buying more inventory and, and never actually buying more assets, like, all right, I'm going to take 20% of my profit every single month and I'm going to buy stocks with it. I'm going to buy bonds with it. I'm going to buy like whatever it is. Like I'm going to buy certain things that over the course of the next 20 years, if my business is done because I you know, have back problem and I can't source and list anymore, I've got enough money built up that my business that I've been running and I've been investing dividends or 20% of it and reinvesting those dividends, you build what, what the richest man in Babylon described as what starts off as gold slaves into like a gold army that's just working yeah. for you. But to be real, like that's really hard to understand when you're doing the paycheck to paycheck thing. Like it's really hard. Like I, I implore you guys, you know, read this book. I implore you guys to, as you're, as you're reselling, like, you 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 have to dabble in it. Like you have to look into. I I'll be real. Like in my I did not do any of these things that he talks about until I became a full time reseller. Until I saw my own balance sheet. Until I saw how much I was paying in taxes. And then I started going like, yeah, I can keep reinvesting in reselling, which I do. I ton of my money goes back into inventory, and you know when my helper will come back to work, and all that stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that I I'm now investing in on the side that is different. But it's it's really hard to think about because if you're only thinking that your paycheck's going to take care of you, unless you break out of that mindset, it's going to be really hard to go down that road. So I don't know. I just, again, I keep saying I'm 40, but I'm actually 20 again because I'm relearning a lot of things, right? Which is, which is important. So... <laughs> I, I do, I do see that I think maybe later he's going to talk about like how like to practically look at assets. I don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that I really, I really think this is a book out of, I mean, I think a lot of the books we think you should definitely buy and read. Don't even use our affiliate link. All we get is 10 cents, whatever you want to do. But I, I would, I would look into this and maybe Mike and I will go into the latter chapters and go like, huh. Okay, that was cool. Maybe the first two chapters only. Mm. I don't know. But I get the sense that as we read this more, we're going to go like, this is interesting. Like, these are things we maybe we should be applying. Yeah, and I, I can honestly say, if you could do this, um, again, I'm going to go back to the the Jocko Willink book. I think it's so great. Like, if you can, if you can exercise discipline, and once we get into the Dave Ramsey book, like, I think when you start, if you could take a few nuggets from this. So far, from Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if all you did was say, I'm going to buy fewer liabilities if you're middle class if you're in the what what he would consider the poor or poverty um and just stuff right i'm going to i'm going to buy fewer things that i don't need and i'm going to buy more assets and you got to figure out what those assets are for you are they stocks are they investments in certain companies are they are they is it is it saving for real estate is it going like you've got to figure out what those assets are 
but don't spend money on liabilities. Buy more assets or, or, or make like, if you're just starting, say like, okay, it's too hard for me to give up my Starbucks and to give up my monsters and to give up like the expenses that I buy stuff that I don't need, the new shoes, the new whatever. It's too hard for me to do that. Then set a limit. Say for every dollar that I spend on those things, I'm going to spend $1 on assets. Or for every dollar I spend on those things, I'm going to put 50 cents away and I'm going to buy an asset with it. You know, once I get to 20 bucks, I'll buy a stock of this, right? And just slowly do that and start building that up. And and just just by doing that, if you can just get that into, uh, even for me, like if I can practice that, buy more assets, buy fewer liabilities. If you do that, 100%, there's no questions asked, you will walk away wealthier over time. There's there's no other way around it. Like if you have more assets and you have liabilities, you're building wealth. Like mm-hmm. it's that simple. It's It's, it's, the hard part is, can you break away from, I've got my paycheck, you just want to spend it on fun things, or you just want to spend it to pay bills of how can I find a way to buy some assets, even if it's just one share of a stock, or if it's just one little this, or maybe I know he's really big right now into Bitcoin and silver. I disagree with silver, um, but I understand where he's coming from. Um, We're and not giving not, any kind of not, financial advice. Yeah. We are not legally liable. That's not um, in this book, I don't think necessarily, um, but I know right now, like on articles and stuff, he's talking a lot about Bitcoin and silver. And I I am a fan of Bitcoin, um, but um, there's reasons I would not say silver, but like, okay, maybe it's silver. Like there was a time where I was buying bullion and it was at the time when I was buying it, it was like $13 an ounce. And so like every time I got like 40 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever, I'd go to this store that literally sold bullion and I'd walk in and I'd get put the cash on the table and I'd get the silver and I'd go and I'd put it in my safe, right? Like Again, I don't think that's the best asset. It is like a mediocre from even a lot of like advisors I see consider precious metal as assets, but like middle of the road assets underneath the things like real estate and and certain stocks, right? Like those are higher assets, better assets for you. But even if that's all you can afford, right? Like I don't know what the price of silver is right now, but it, maybe it's 16 Basically, bucks. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Do something, start buy an somewhere. asset. Do not get caught in the paycheck and me getting a higher position or getting a better salary is, and again, we're not gurus. We're just speaking on the knowledge that has been shared by others before us who have made it. Right. And and it's important because, right, these books, as Mike has said many times, these are the mentors that we didn't have. Right. This is the dad that I didn't have. I mean, my, 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 you know, and I'll share more into my family history next time, because I think it, it very much ties into this because, and I'll just really quick share this. Like my family came from Latin America. And they thrived in the 80s under Reagan. Like, we had a house. We had a car. Like, man, we were, man, we were vibing. But here's the thing. There was no financial literacy. And all of that is gone. I have nobody. Nobody. It's me. If I don't make it financially, I am done. And that is it. I have no parents to lean on. And I love my mom. And I love my dad who passed away. And I I love my family. Don't get me wrong. But I have no one. It's just me and that's it. And part of that is because the financial literacy was not there. And I'm hoping that we all come to understanding that like reading these books helps us, as Mike said, build, right, that intellectual muscle, right, to make things happen. And I want to leave on one more positive note. Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of this seems unattainable. I would say when I, five years ago, you're telling me to buy stocks. I'm like, what? That's only what like rich people do. Like who, who buys stocks, right? Or, and or Robin Hood. Or, yeah. And that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> it's so funny with Robin. Robin Hood has been a game changer, but it's also dangerous too. So anyway, that's a whole nother, another time. This is what Robert Kawasaki says on page 122 of my mass paperback book. He says, 
Wealth is a measure of the cash flow from the asset column compared with the expense column. When your assets generate income enough to cover your expenses, you're wealthy, even if you're not rich. And that is not an unattainable goal. It is not that far out of reach. Think about that. Don't think that this is way ahead of you and you can't make it happen. Again, if your assets can outpace what you need to make, right? Outpace your expenses. You're already in a good place. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Peace. Peace.